something like this. I know that this has happened to all of us, whether we realize it or not. This morning I'm going to begin the message by saying this. I don't know if this is true of anyone. I don't know if this has ever happened to anyone in this room. I don't know if it's ever happened to you. It may be such a rare occurrence that everyone this morning could leave here saying, well, that's not ever happened to me. But it may be that someone in the room this morning would be able to say, you know what, I can identify with that. I know exactly what it is you are talking about. So here is what I'd like us to think about for just a moment. And again, this may or may not be something you have experienced. It may or may not be something you have dealt with. But even if we have not dealt with it, we can understand it and we can know how this would work or play out in a person's life. So the question would be this, is how many of us have ever had at least one person in our life that seemed to serve as our thorn in the flesh? They just seemed to be that person that God allowed to come into our lives for whatever reason to just kind of be that thorn in our flesh. And what I mean by that is this, maybe the person is very argumentative. No matter what it is we would say, no matter what it is we would do, they would see things from a different perspective. They would see things from a different angle. And it's not because they're trying to be cute. It's not because they're trying to be funny. It's not because they're just trying to give you a hard time. It's because that is their nature and that is their personality. They, they just have an argumentative spirit towards you. Again, you may not ever have dealt with someone like this, but such people do exist. Maybe it's not the argumentative type. Maybe it's type of person that they're just antagonistic towards you. They just have bugged you. You know, they were just the one that was there to just always poke at you a little bit. Just to always just kind of be there to be that source of irritation. Maybe you'd have to go back to grade school or junior high or high school. But if you went back far enough, you might be able to say, you know, there was oh so-and-so. And it just it didn't matter. He was always there to, to irritate me. He was always there to stir trouble. And, and he was always there to, to cause problems. Such people, again, exist, do they not? It may be someone like this. They always thought and portrayed themselves to be superior over you. So no matter what you did, they were convinced that they could one-up you in one manner or another. And maybe they were always talking about how good they were, how great they were, and how inferior to them you were. Again, you may sit here this morning and say, well, I've never dealt with that personally. I've never had to experience anything like that. But again, you can understand that this happens, and you know that situations like this take place, that there are different times for different reasons, I guess, that God would allow certain people to come into the lives of other people, and those people are just pains in the neck. They are thorns in the flesh. They are just nuisances and bothers. Now, if a person like this has ever existed in your life, I would imagine that there have been times where you just wanted something to happen that would shut them up. Just something to happen, just something to take place. You would be thrilled if something would happen that would just shut them up for a little bit. 
where they would never say anything else about that, where they would never bring that up again, whatever it may be. You would love for just something to happen where they would have to realize and have to admit they are not as great as they think they are, and I am not as inferior to them as they would like me to believe I am. I think every one of us can understand at least the principle here or the thought here that if someone like that existed in the life of another person where they were antagonistic, argumentative, or always thought they were better than everyone else, you can understand where we would want that person to just be put in their place, shut up and silenced for a long, long time. That would make us feel, oh, so good. You know what I'm talking about? Some of you may know exactly who it is I'm talking about, though I don't even begin to know who I'm talking about in your life. I look at myself and my experience and, and my days on this earth, and, and I don't have just several examples of that. But I would have to say there's been one person in my life that just over the years has just picked at me. Pick, 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 pick. And there have been times that, more than anything, I just want you to have to shut up. I want you to have to eat those words. I want you to just have to sit there in silence and not be able to say anything. It happens. And why do I mention that? Why do I begin a sermon in that nature? Well, this morning I want us to begin looking in the middle of verse number two, uh, verse number 42. The middle of verse number 42, the writer of the psalm mentions that there is someone reproaching him. There is someone who is reproaching him. What does it mean when this writer indicates that there is someone who is reproaching him? What does it mean when he says, uh, that reproacheth me? The word reproach means this, to taunt or to rail upon, or to disgrace or disrespect someone. It means to taunt or to rail upon, or to disgrace or disrespect someone. So here's what the writer seems to indicate, that there is someone in his life who is reproaching him, or who would be a reproach to him, which means this, that individual is taunting him, that individual is railing upon him, that person is speaking to him in a way that would be disgraceful or that would show no respect to the individual. Obviously not an enjoyable position for the writer of the psalm to be in. Would you agree? All right, so there's this person who is reproaching him, they are taunting him, they are railing on him, disgracing him, disrespecting him. And what the context will show us in the next couple of moments is this, is that the reason for the reproach or the taunting or the railing or all the remarks and all the statements and all the jabs, the reason for all of this seems to be hinging upon the writer's decision to live for the Lord and to live according to the Word of God. It's almost as though the writer is saying this, Because I have chosen to live according to the Word of God, because I have chosen to try to, to guide my life and to pattern my life after the Word of God, because the Word of God is what I have fully invested my life in and placed myself under by way of authority, 
I have this individual who we'll see in just a moment who in the midst of my affliction has chosen to taunt me and to rail upon me and to treat me in disgraceful and disrespectful ways. So as all this is happening, as all this is taking place, I want us to consider his prayer. I want us to consider his thoughts and his heart and his attitude toward God. Notice in verse number 41 what the writer says. He says, Let thy mercies come also unto me, O Lord. Let thy mercies come also unto me, O Lord. What does it mean whenever the writer speaks of the mercies of the Lord? It is a reference to the goodness of God. It is a reference to the kindness of God. It is a reference to the favor of God. And so what the writer is praying for and what the writer is asking for is for God to begin showing him goodness and kindness and favor. And then he says in the middle of verse number 41, or just past the middle, he says, even thy salvation. So God, I am asking you to show me your mercies, and God, I am asking you to show me or to give me thy salvation, which would be a reference for or a reference to deliverance. Now, if you'll think about this, if you'll kind of read between the lines, you don't need deliverance from something that is enjoyable or something that is pleasant to go through. No one ever goes through an enjoyable time. No one ever goes through a pleasant experience. No one ever goes through something that is appealing to them and to their flesh and to their spirit and their attitude with this kind of a response, Lord, get this through or get me through this quickly. You understand what I'm saying? Whenever life is good, we're not asking for God's mercies and God's salvation. No, it is only in the midst of difficulties. It is only in the midst of trials. It is only in the midst of hard times that anyone would begin to pray for the mercies and the salvation of the Lord. So common sense would tell us that if the writer is asking for the mercies of the Lord to come also unto him, and he is asking for the Lord to, to allow the salvation to come unto him, it would make sense for us to assume that the writer is going through a difficult time. And so he says, Lord, let thy mercies come also unto me, O Lord, even thy salvation according to thy word. What does that mean? It means this, Lord, as you have written and as you have declared in your word, as a result of serving you, as a result of following you, as a result of doing what I'm supposed to be doing, God, I am asking you, in accordance to your word, let me experience the goodness of you, and let me experience your favor, and let me experience your kindness, and, and let me know all that you have for me by way of deliverance and salvation. God, as your word has stated, I'm asking you to do that on my behalf. I'm asking you to do that for me. Now, it's interesting if you consider the prayer, if you consider the petition or the request of the writer, he's not asking again for the mercies of the Lord and the salvation of the Lord simply for his own personal deliverance from the difficulties that he's dealing with. But see, he's got this person in his life who is reproaching him because of the affliction or the difficulties or the hardships that he is dealing with. 
His prayer is not, Lord, give me mercy and give me salvation so that I can get out from under this situation I'm in. But God, I have this person in my life who is reproaching me. He is taunting me. He is, you know, dis- disrespecting me. He is disgracing me. God, he is railing on me. And God, I am asking you for all this for this reason. So that I can shut him up. So that I can silence him. Well, how do we know? Look there in verse number 42. He said, So shall I have wherewith to answer him that reproacheth me, that I would have therewith to answer him. What does it mean to answer someone? It means this, to be able to respond to someone or to testify as a witness on behalf of someone. God, I am asking you for your mercy, and God, I am asking you for your salvation. I am asking you, God, to show me your goodness and your kindness and your favor and your deliverance according to what your word has said, so that when this person begins to taunt me, when this person begins to rail against me, when this person begins to disgrace me or try to disrespect me, God, I want to have an answer for that person. God, I want to be able to give witness to you. God, I want to be able to give a testimony to you. God, I want to be able to speak of your goodness and your favor and your kindness and your mercy and your deliverance in my life. You see what the writer is saying? He's saying, Lord, I want to be able to tell people how good you are. God, I want to be able to tell people how merciful you are and how kind you are and how benevolent you are. And God, I I want to be able to, to be a testimony on your behalf. And I want to be able to be a witness for you. And God, I want to be able to, to give an answer to this one who would taunt me. See, the idea here or the picture that is being painted by, by the writer would be something of this sort, that as the writer is going through the difficult time, as the writer is dealing with whatever the hardship may be, there is someone who is antagonizing him about the life that he is living on behalf of the Lord. And God, I want to live in such a way, according to your word, that I get to experience your goodness. So when that the individual begins to talk trash in terminology that we would use, so that when the individual begins to, to begin taunting and saying everything that he has said in the past, I want to be able to say something. And I want to be able to point him to something, that being your mercy and your salvation, to where he has nothing to say by way of criticism, by way of insult, or any other kind of a jab he may give. Now, as all this is said, I want us to look in verse number 42 because this is so important. So shall I have wherewith to answer him that reproacheth me, for I trust in thy word. For I trust in thy word. I don't know if we read through this psalm sometimes and not give consideration to everything that is said, but when you think about that statement, that is of utmost importance. 
The writer says this, God, I trust in thy word. What does it mean to trust in the word of God? It means this, I have placed my confidence in your word. God, your word that has been revealed. God, your word that has been given. God, your word that has been preserved for us. God, the word that we have recorded, that is what I have placed my trust and my confidence in. God, that is what I have invested in. God, that is what I have adopted for my life. God, that is what I have yielded myself to. God, I am asking you to show me your mercy, to show me your salvation, so that in the midst of this affliction, when this individual would start taunting me and reproaching me and railing upon me, God, I want to be able to give an answer to him. I want to be able to be a testimony and a witness to you. God, I want to be able to silence the critic because I have placed all of my trust and all of my confidence in your word. You understand that this writer could not have prayed for the mercy and the salvation of the Lord if he had not placed all of his trust and all of his confidence in the word of God? Can you imagine for just a moment what it would have been like if the individual who wrote the passage had to say this, God, you know that I haven't fully trusted and, and fully placed my confidence in your word. And God, you know that I, I live according to my own rules. And, and God, you know that so many times I've adopted the world's authority and the world's way of thinking in my life. But God, even though I've done all that, I'm still asking for your mercy and your deliverance. If he had not fully trusted in the word of God, he would have had no right, no reason to pray for mercy and salvation in the midst of his affliction to silence the words of the accuser or the critic or the antagonistic individual. Does this make sense? Without his trust and confidence and being fully persuaded that the word of God was the word of God and how he was supposed to live his life, without that being able to be said of him, he had no reason and he had no basis to pray any of the other stuff so as to silence the individual who was causing him problems. Now, I don't know if this strikes a chord with anyone. I don't know if this begins to resonate with anyone. But I'd like us to think about this for just a couple of moments, and I promise I'll not keep us here a long time this morning, okay? So, so just think with me for a couple of moments what this looks like in my life or in your life. Every individual, and I know I've said this so many times before, but every individual, it matters not who we are, every individual deals with heartaches and frustrations and hardships and trials in life. Everyone in this world deals with these things to one extent or another. To one degree or another, every one of us deals with hardships and afflictions and trials. Now, if you'll think about this, please... I would suspect that many of us can identify with what I'm about to say. But when a believer goes through hard times, difficulties, trials, afflictions, whatever you want to call it, it seems like on many occasions Satan brings someone into the life of the believer who wants to taunt 
and derail upon that individual. Does this make sense? Somebody might say something like this. Well, you're a Christian, huh? So why is it that you as a Christian, you're dealing with that? Oh, I thought if you were a Christian, you didn't have those kinds of problems. Oh, I thought if you were a Christian, you didn't have to deal with that kind of stuff. How is it that if your God is so good, then you have to put up with that? How, how come if, if God is so good that you had to deal with that tragedy? Why, why is it that, that if God is so good that, that these things are happening? Why would I want your life if serving God is, is, you know, results in you getting something like this? Listen, uh, why would I want that? Have you known there to be critics of the Christian life sometimes out there? The critics exist. The people who taunt and the people who mock and the people who laugh and the people who rail upon, the the people who make light of Christianity, it seems like so many times they pop their heads up when you and I are going through difficulties, when you and I are going through afflictions. Or there's that person who's just a little bit antagonistic toward us, and it's not that they're just really ripping us apart, but they've just got these little jabs and these little statements that they throw in. Have you ever dealt with something like that? I mean, it's happened to me a few times, and I have to be honest and tell you there have been... You know, a few times, I don't want to exaggerate, but there have been a few times or several times where, where I could say something like this, that I have prayed and asked the Lord, God, would you do something on my behalf? Not necessarily because I want this problem to go away, but I'll tell you, I don't know if it's my flesh or if it's just this desire to to be able to rightly defend the one that I say that I serve, but there have been times I've said, God, would you please do something on my behalf? Why? So that I can give an answer to the idiot who's bothering me right now. I want to shut this person up. God, I am praying and I am asking you, God, would you please do something great? God, would you please do something on my behalf? God, would you do something on behalf of the family? God, would you do something on behalf of the church? God, would you please help in this time of need? Why are you praying that, Kyle? Because I want to be able to tell this individual over here, God is good and God is worth serving and here is the evidence I have. God is blessed here and God is blessed here and God has provided here. And in the midst of what you view as a trial, yes, it's a trial and yes, it, it, it's a hardship. But even in the midst of that, I can show you where God has been good to me over and over again. I, I, I can identify with this. I have prayed, God, do something so that I can silence the critics. Maybe you're more spiritual than me. Maybe you don't feel that way. Maybe you don't ever have those thoughts and entertain those ideas. But there are times I just want the Lord to do something. So that the person who has jabbed me, so that the person who has been critical, so that the person who has made their little snide remarks, they have to shut up and go back into the corner that they came out of. It's what I want, and that's what I desire. And that's what I've prayed for. But you know what I'm reminded of in the text this morning? 
I can only pray such a prayer. And I can only remind the Lord of His Word. You understand what I'm saying? Lord, you said, Lord, your Word says, I can only pray this prayer and remind Him of His Word when I can say, For I trust in Thy Word. God, I have placed my confidence in your word. See, until I am able to say, God, I have placed my confidence in your word. God, I have given myself fully to the teachings of your word. God, I have fully invested myself into what your word says. Until I am able to say, like the writer of the psalm, that I trust in the word of God completely and entirely, I am not able to pray for God's mercies and his salvation according to his word so that I can shut up the one who reproacheth me. See, I've got to live it. And I have to believe it before I can begin praying it with any measure of expectation. See, if I'm not believing it, if I'm not living it, if His Word is not being exercised in my life, yet I'm going to tout myself in the eyes of others that I am a Bible-believing, Bible-follower, you know, God-fearing individual, if that's how I'm going to promote myself in front of others, and yet I am not going to place all of my trust and my confidence in the Word, then a couple of things need to be understood in my life. I need to understand, first of all, that when the difficulties and the trials come, I deserve to be mocked and taunted and laughed at by those who would make fun of my faith. I deserve it because I've promoted myself to be something that I'm not really in my own personal life. The second thing that I better be ready for is this, is I better be ready for God to not jump to my aid so that He can be defended by me when I'm not even living for Him and His Word. See, if I haven't trusted, you know, if I haven't placed my confidence in His Word, if I have not trusted in His Word, then, then for me to try to be a defendant on His behalf, for me to try to give a witness to others, you know, in, in regards to the Lord and His faithfulness to me, it's not going to happen. It just will not happen because everything about my testimony is false and a lie and it's not true in front of the ones who are mocking or reproaching or taunting me. It has to be said that we have trusted in His Word. This morning I just want to deal with this for a moment. And the question that I want us to deal with and the question I want us to consider would be this. Have we trusted in His Word? Have we placed all of our confidence in the Word of God that God has revealed unto us?
It's so easy within the walls of a church to say, my trust is in the Word. It is so easy when we are with fellow Christians, fellow believers, fellow religious people. It is so easy for you and I to say, we have placed our trust and our confidence in the Word. But would we not admit this morning that when we leave the doors of this church, when we leave the doors of this building, that it is so easy to remove and to replace our trust from his word to so many other things? So many people, whether they'd like to admit this or not, they have placed their trust and their confidence in themselves. I know what I'm doing. I know how to handle this. I know how to approach this. I know what I'm doing. I know what the Word of God says, but. I know what the Word of God has declared, but. Okay, we cannot say, but, and still pretend that we have placed our trust and confidence in His Word. You and I cannot say, well, I know what the Word of God says, but for my situation, but for my family, but for, for the, 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 you know, the, the situation that we're in right now, we're going to do something different than what the Word of God says. We can't have that attitude and claim to trust in the Word and then expect God to show us His mercies and His deliverance in our lives in the midst of the affliction to shut up the one who is reproaching us. So many times we have placed our trust and our confidence in ourselves. So many times people place their trust and their confidence in this world system, in this world's way of thinking. I don't know how to prove this. I don't guess that I could. But it is amazing to me the number of people that you see who identify themselves as believers. Yet when you begin to really look at their lives, what you find is this is that the authority of the Word of God does not dictate how they live. The authority of this world dictates how they live. They live worldly, ungodly, unrighteous lives. And when the hard times come and the critics begin to pop up and the people begin to make the statements, they want God to do something. They want God to work. They want to be able to silence those critics but it's an illegitimate prayer because they're not really trusting in the Word like they claim to trust in the Word. The hardships are going to come. The difficulties of life are going to come. There will be times where people sit on the sides and, 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 and they begin to hurl things and they begin to say things and they begin to, to make their remarks and they begin to, to have fun at our expense. And, and that will go all over us. And we'll want something to happen to shut them up. But the only way that we can pray and have any confidence that the Lord will show us His mercy and His salvation according to His Word is when we can honestly say, God, I trust in Your Word. I trust in Your Word completely. I want to ask you this morning, you know, you know whether or not you have trusted in His Word as you ought. I'm not saying that 
we don't struggle from time to time because we know what the Word of God says and it goes against our flesh. I know that we all have those struggles, but there is a difference between struggling and wrestling with the truth of God's Word and us knowing what the Word of God says but not submitting and yielding to the Word of God. Have we placed our trust and our confidence in the Word of God? Above everything else in this world, do we look to the Word of God as our authority? Or would we have to be honest and say there are so many times that I allow my own views and my own opinions to usurp the authority of God in my life and His Word? Would we have to be honest and say there are many times in our lives where we allow the world's philosophy to usurp the authority of God's Word in our lives? What is it that we have placed our trust and our confidence in? Can I just throw this out here for us to to chew on. Maybe you need it, maybe you don't. But until you have placed your trust and your confidence in the Word of God by way of salvation and a personal relationship with the Lord, you cannot begin to say that you have placed your trust in His Word for your everyday life. Until you have said, God, I take your word at face value and I fully trust and and place my confidence in what you have said, who Jesus is and and how he alone is able to save and, and, and God, he alone is the one who can give me eternal life. Until we have placed our faith in his word regarding salvation, we cannot begin to pretend that we have placed our trust in him for our everyday lives. I don't know where we stand on the issue. I don't know where we, we come out in the wash, so to speak, on this issue. But we know whether or not we have trust in his word. We know whether or not it's just in here or if it's lived out there. We know whether or not it's just something we amen in a church service or whether we live it and apply it to our daily lives. We know. We know, we know, we know. But until we trust in his word completely and fully and entirely, we have no reason to assume that God would answer the prayers for mercies and salvation in the midst of our hardships. It's just silly. Are we trusting in his word so that we can silence the critics when they decide to mock and taunt and reproach us? Let's all stand this morning and bow our heads for a word of prayer. Fathers, we come to you this morning. Lord, I don't know what the needs are of anybody in this room. God, it is so easy in church for us to look the part, to sound the part, to play the part, 